Well, good morning. Clement of Alexandria. I know that's, he's got to be uh, on your nightstand, Clement of Alexandria, no doubt, in terms of some of the things you're reading these days. Um, Clement of Alexandria, who is he? Lived from 150 to 215, 150 to 215 A.D. He was known as the theologian of the intelligentsia. That means he was a smart guy. And he was uh, coming alongside and working with a lot of smart people. As an adult, maybe maybe worth saying, as an adult, he was uh, seeking out truth from teachers in such places of that part of the world as southern Italy and Greece and Syria and Palestine and Alexandria. You know, he's known as Clement of Alexandria. That was a city that at the time numbered up to roughly about a million people in its population. Hard, hard to believe. We're talking 150 to 215, this man's lifespan. He opened his own school. Uh, the school was basically a series of conferences, as best we can understand. Uh, but in addition to that, he was a prolific writer. If you've got your quotes and notes, the bulletin here this morning, you can see Clement of Alexander is the first one uh, there at the very top of those quotes. I want to read to you something that he said, you know, some, something late second or early third century. These are the words of Clement of Alexandria, quote, in our sickness, we need a savior, in our wanderings, a guide, in our blindness, someone to show us the light, in our thirst, the fountain of living water, which quenches forever the thirst of those who drink from it. We dead people need life, we sheep need a shepherd, we children need a teacher, the whole world needs Jesus. Again, this man, born around 150 A.D., dying around 215 A.D., a long time ago, this is what he's saying, and fundamentally nothing has changed. Fundamentally, absolutely, positively, nothing has changed in terms of the substance of what he was saying there and what we just read. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue on in this uh, summer sermon series through the I Am statements of Jesus as recorded for us in John's Gospel. If I got the count right, this is the fourth, the fourth in the series. And this morning, we're looking at what Jesus means when he says to us, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And we're going to be looking together at John chapter 10. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there with me now or click there if it's you're looking at it on your phone. Uh, it's the fourth of the Gospels that we have, fourth book of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you hit Acts, great book. Read it when you get home. That's not for this morning. Uh, we're in John, John chapter 10, reading most of it, not all of it, but John chapter 10, starting in verse 1 on down through verse 21. Hear now God's word. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. 
So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for these passages of Scripture already here this morning and these songs that we've been able to, to sing along the theme of your shepherding care. We do ask now that you would help us now as we are huh, delving into this particular passage that you would help us to understand, that you'd help us to hear. Really, please, would you help us to hear? There were some there that day who did not have ears to hear. And it was evident. We pray for your mercy, your mercy upon our own hearts, our own minds, our own lives, that you would help us to know what it means for you to be our shepherd, the good shepherd. What does this mean, Jesus? Please, please have mercy upon your people now this morning. We pray in your name. Amen. It might be helpful to start off by addressing just honestly some of the barriers to the topic of shepherding. Tim Laniac, Old Testament professor at Gordon-Conwell University, or excuse me, seminary, uh, notes that there are at least four misconceptions when it comes to this image, this idea of shepherding. And it's probably worth just noting them and just countering just a bit as, as we can. So the first one is, many say, well, this image by and of itself is abusive and heavy-handed. Shepherding. It's abusive and heavy-handed. It is can be, but not necessarily. Okay? You need to understand that. It can be, but not necessarily. Well, some will say, yes, but the shepherding image that you're talking about, it's nothing more than just bedside manner or one-on-one -on -one counseling, therapy, that sort of thing. That is to really downplay, uh, to, to truncate the intended meaning of the metaphor, as important as that uh, reality, bedside manner, and one-on-one -on -one counseling may be. Well, others would say, well, it's, it's irrelevant. 
This metaphor, this idea, God is a shepherd, us is his people, all that sort of thing, it's irrelevant. We don't live in an agrarian culture. What's the point? Give us something else to work with. Okay, that may be true. Maybe none of us here grew up on a farm. Maybe all of us think the food comes directly from Publix. But that doesn't change the fact that it is a central metaphor that you find in the Bible, and we need to wrestle with it. Fourth thing, lastly, it's an unworthy metaphor. We don't need it. What we really need is not this soft, soapy care from a shepherd. We'll get into that in a minute. What we need is a CEO. We need a president. We need an executive, a powerful man or woman who will lead and guide and be the leader. That may be our felt need. But that is not what the Lord is saying. That is not what the Lord is, is saying. Let me come at this from another angle, okay? So putting aside the barriers for a minute. Let's just ask a question. Of all of the images that Jesus could have used in the ancient world of horticulture, why this one? Why shepherding? Why not the care and raising of cattle or camels or chickens? It existed. It was a thing. Why shepherding well part of it has to do simply with the times simply with the economy there were sheep everywhere there were shepherds everywhere it was a vital part of the economy of of the day people would understand grasp what it was that he was saying when he's using this imagery that's part of it, it but it's not just the times it's also the numbers and what i mean by that is this when you look at the scriptures sheep are mentioned in the Old Testament alone, some 400 times. Sheep. And in a, quite a few instances, it's a reference to us. In addition to that, shepherds are mentioned roughly about 100 times. And in quite a few of those instances, the reference is actually to God. So it would seem that this is, again, a vital central metaphor, and it's, it's quite... It makes a lot of sense as to why then Jesus would tap into this image, this metaphor, as he's describing something as to, well, let's say, who we are, who he is, what he has done for us, and one more, that which oftentimes gets left out, how he feels towards us. It's a significant, powerful, central metaphor, and it makes a lot of sense that Jesus would use it. And it's exactly what we see here in the text, here in John 10. He, the, the, the weight of the text, the, the clear message of the text is that Jesus has come as our shepherd. We need to rely upon him. Jesus has come as our shepherd. We need to rely upon him. Now, what would that mean? What would it mean for us to rely upon, turn to, look to, rely upon, trust in him as our shepherd. To get at that, we need to look at three things. And this is in your outline. It's just the direction that we're going over the next few minutes. The first thing being to, to think through, what is our need? That's the first thing. Second, what is the problem? And third, what is the solution? Okay? So the need, the problem, and the solution. So first, the need. We are described as sheep. As sheep. That's interesting, isn't it? That's an interesting picture. What does it mean? 
the picture that we often have, if I just say sheep, you know, and like, tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. A lot of us, the, like among the first three things that come to your mind is, you know, white, woolly, soft, cuddly, fluffy, cute, sheep. That first impression, that initial thought, needs a hard dose of reality in terms of really what sheep are. Uh, Doug McMillan was a minister, 20th century minister in the Free Church of Scotland. And reflecting on this point, this is what he said in one of his, his books on this topic. A sheep is a stupid animal. Sheep lose their direction co continually as cats and dogs and other animals do not. In addition, sheep are extremely obstinate. Even you, when you find the lost sheep, it is very difficult to round them up and bring them home unless you have a dog to scare them. The lost sheep rushes to and fro. When you find it, you must seize it, cast it down, tie its legs together, and put it over your shoulders to carry it home. Sheep are not at all the clean, cuddly creatures that they appear to be at a distance. On the contrary, they are subject to nasty pests and need to be regularly thrown into strong chemicals in order to rid them of lice, ticks, and worms. This is not meant to be a compliment that we have, as human beings, been called sheep. This is not meant to be a compliment, folks. This is meant to be an insult. This is meant to be a bracing statement and diagnosis summary of who and what we are. Sheep. We are helpless. Sheep are, and I'm talking now literal sheep, the ones out there in the, the pasture, they are dependent, absolutely, completely dependent upon the shepherd for protection and grazing and watering and shelter and the tending to their injuries. Absolutely dependent upon that shepherd. They will not last any time at all out in the wild. Absolutely dependent upon the shelter. They're helpless. They are foolish, prone to wander, it's been well documented that sheep will, are unable to even find their way to the sheep pen or the sheep fold even when they're in, within sight of it. They can't find their way. And friends, this is the glorious image that God uses to describe us. This is it. The sheep. So here's a... Uh, a paragraph from an AP story, news story, Associated Press, just a few years ago. First one sheep jumped to its death, then another and another, then dozens more, having left their herds to graze while they ate breakfast, stunned Turkish shepherds now watched as 1,500 others leapt off the same cliff. The first 450 animals died under the billowy pile. What happened? What happened was likely they got off the trail and just one by one by one were following the tail in front of them. That's what sheep do. And that is the image that we are given again to describe you and I. It's what sheep do following the tail in front of them without thinking about the consequences, without thinking about the, what the destination is, without, without thinking about reflecting upon where this is going. That's what sheep do. And the question is, are we, we willing to own this image of ourselves, 
Are we willing to be still and sit in this long enough to let the Lord's critique land on us in a way that we really need to? And, and as, as humbling as it may be, and I, I recognize it, this is worth saying here at this point, yes, there are a lot of other images in the Bible used that God uses to describe his people. Citizens of his kingdom, absolutely. Servants of the king, absolutely. Children of the father, absolutely. Many, many others. But also sheep. But also sheep. Can we hear that? Are we willing to hear that? Because it points us to the need. It opens it up, opens up the reality of our need given who we are. And then that takes us to the second point, the problem, the problem. So we are sheep, we are helpless and, and foolish, just impulsively, naturally so. Uh, we are sheep and our shepherds, here's the problem, are flawed. We are sheep, helpless and foolish, and our shepherds are flawed. Now, some of you, if you've been part of this, sitting in on this series uh, thus far, you may have heard me say already that in order to grapple with these I am statements that Jesus uh, makes in John's gospel, in order to really grasp the significance, the deep meaning of what he's getting at there, you have to read back and you have to read broad, okay? Because there's tr the, the, it's like the whole Bible is the context of the statement, okay? So reading back, we have to go back to ancient precedent, uh, and this is what Rachel was reading from earlier, from Ezekiel 34, okay? And you think in terms, I'm not going to go back there and reread it again, but we actually are going to allude to it later here in a few minutes, but you think in terms of what we saw there, what we saw there in, in those verses and in that critique that the Lord is making of his rulers, of the shepherds of the day, uh, the rulers of God's people. He critiques them, he... Um, comes at them, if you will, for their, their bad motives, uh, their, their desire, their willingness to think and care for only themselves and not those that they were given charge of to care for, caring only for themselves. So the bad motives and then you know, bad practices, so uh, sins of, of neglect and abuse, sins of omission and commission are being described there when you think back to what we heard earlier from Ezekiel 34. And then that takes you, fast forward now, some 650 years later, to the current situation in John 10, and you have Jesus speaking these words. And it's not just John 10, this is why you have to read not just back, but broad, it's John 9 and 10. Don't let a new number, a new chapter uh, beginning fool you into thinking that, like, it's just an utter disjunction there in, in what's happening. What's happening in John 9 leads right into what happens in, in John 10. So now you're thinking, well, what happened in John 9? I'm so glad you asked. So you have the healing of this blind man, okay? You have this healing of this blind man. Then you have this investigation and interrogation of the situation by the Pharisees. And then they, based on their findings, throw the man out of the synagogue. So instead of rejoicing in the healing and what has happened with this man, they reject him. And that's the context. That's the context of Jesus, uh, his critique. His, uh, it's very reminiscent of Ezekiel 34 and, and passages actually in Isaiah and Jeremiah as well. This thoroughgoing critique showing, setting forth this contrast between 
the hired hand, right? In John 10, and the shepherd. You're acting like. You're living as though you are nothing but a hired hand. And left my people without a shepherd. And he, he, he's warning also the people, indeed, of these false shepherds, of those who will fleece them and flee at the first sign of danger. You see, and that takes us back to, again, our problem. We have a problem. We are sheep, utterly dependent, foolish, and utterly in need of a shepherd. And yet we look around, and it would seem we have none. It would seem that we, we, we have none. Think of the leadership crisis in the Western world today, right? Scandal upon scandal upon scandal. A headline just this past week, just this past week, I'll, I'll read to you. Americans are less confident in major U.S. institutions than they were a year ago, with significant declines for 11 of the 16 institutions tested and no improvements for any. Scandal after scandal after scandal, and I'm, not, I'm talking about, you know, out there and in the church as well. It seems like everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, we are met with nothing but yet another example of either incompetence or a lack of integrity. So here we are, sheep. You see the problem? Here we are, sheep, and it would seem that we cannot govern ourselves, given what we are, and yet then we look for someone to guide and to govern us, someone, and, they, and we look around and it seems all we can find are candidates, men and women who are unwilling and unable to do so, and then we start to hear this voice from the Bible that says, that's, that's beginning to get the, 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 the notion across to us, you know, maybe this has been a long-standing problem. Maybe this is something that has been going on a long time and is seen all over, as in everywhere you look. Which then sets us up for the solution. The shepherd. The good shepherd. The one who is speaking to us here in, in John 10. The long-promised shepherd. I say long promised again. You see it in Isaiah. You see it in Jeremiah. You see it in Ezekiel 34. Um, we, we heard something of that uh, even just a few minutes ago as, as the text is being read. So yes, God himself comes. He comes and uh, strongly condemns the leaders of his people for fleecing when they should have been caring and running when they should have been protecting. And then he says, I myself... I'm going to take care of this. I'm going, I'm promising you, I'm assuring you, I'm moving into this situation. I don't know how many, if you picked up on this, but how many times, as it was being read a few moments ago, the Lord says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, again and again and again through that passage. Something that he's going to do He's going to do this. Now, how is he going to do this? Well, this is where the, that other text comes up in Ezekiel 34, verses 22 through 23. We didn't read this earlier, but this is just a little bit further down in the chapter. Verses 22 through 23. He says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, 
And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. But still yet, if you're paying attention to what the Lord is saying there, it still raises a question. How? Oh, Lord, you're saying you're going to do this, but at the same time you're saying it's your son David is going to do this. But David's been dead 500 years, just by the point of, you know, Ezekiel. How? He's going to do this by coming to this earth through the line of David as the shepherd as the one, the chief, the good, the true shepherd, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, this one who is speaking there that, that day, the one who is long promised and has finally come. Uh, he is, as such, he's the only means to life. This shepherd is the only means to life. And by the way, that's what the imagery means when you see door and gate. That's actually not a separate I am statement in John's gospel. It's really um, part of the explanation of to who Jesus is as the shepherd. It's, part, it's, an, it's under the larger umbrella of Jesus as I am the shepherd. That's what the, the gate, the, the, um, the door imagery means there in verses 7 through 10. In fact, even in ancient uh, shepherding practices, and I think it still goes on in certain parts of the world today. At the end of the day, as the sheep are coming into the sheepfold, you know who's standing at that gate at that door? Letting them in and checking them out to make sure that they're cared for? It's the shepherd. And at night, as they bed down and go to sleep, those little sheepies, the sheep, the shepherd oftentimes will lay down across that doorway. In a sense, he is the door. He is the gate. He's how you get in. He's how you get out to the, to the life and the pasture outside the, the sheepfold itself. Jesus is the only means we have of, of life. And he's the only hope that we have. The only one that can fulfill the calling of the shepherd. The one that we need, that, that the prophets spoke of. This one who would come to guide, to go out front and take us to the pastures. This one who would come to, to uh, provide all that we need for ultimate sustenance and restoration. This one who would come to protect, to vigilantly stand guard over that which would prey upon us and destroy us in an ultimate horrific fashion. And he does this only by knowing loving and giving himself for us. And you look at how many times Jesus uses that phrase here in John 10. So verse 11, we, we see it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Skip down to verse 14. You see it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verses 17 through 18. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. This is the solution. He is the solution to our need, to our problem, and he's the only solution to that. Jesus as the good shepherd. And to the degree that we take this into our hearts, that we embrace this, that it begins to take root in our lives, it could begin to heal our hearts. 
Jesus, the reality of Jesus as the, as the good shepherd. Let me tell you just two ways, just two ways this can have significant impact upon your heart starting right now. The way you look to your future, many of us in this room can speak to deep, profound struggles with fear, worry, and anxiety. To know Jesus as your chief shepherd can get to the root of that. Do you know what some of the fruit of, some of the signs of, are, are, are my life, your life, our lives, sometimes dominated by fear and anxiety and worry? You know how that sometimes comes out? It comes out sideways, but oftentimes this is what's at the root, fear. It comes out with a desire, to, with an impulse to withdraw. I'm too afraid, so I'm pulling back. Withdrawal. Or control. This is out of hand. It's scaring me. <clears throat> i got to control you and the circumstances. Or anger. Because of what I'm afraid of. Like, like, like a wounded, caged animal. Now think with me. Think of the degree to which you and I, in our everyday lives, struggle with those three things. Withdrawing, controlling, and anger. Friends, when that happens, get curious. Start asking yourself some questions. Oh, my soul. This is what you see in the Psalms all the time. What's going on? What's at the root of that? Could it be in this moment of my impulse to withdraw, my impulse to control, my impulse to the rage, could it be I'm afraid? That what's at the root of all that is my, my anxiety and my worry about what's ahead of me. To know Jesus as your shepherd who guides, provides, and protects is a sweet balm for that deep root. That's looking to the future. There's something else, though, I want to point out. As we look to our past, some of us really struggle there, too. Some of us struggle with both <laughs> at, this, at the same time. So we look back at our past with memories of resentment. Resentment towards others, resentment towards God, if we're honest. I want to take you back to that quote. Remember I read earlier from the start from Doug McMillan, the pastor of Free Church of Scotland? And he was talking about, shall I say, the rough handling of the sheep by the shepherd at times, the straying sheep to bring that little thing back, how he has to be, he, the, the, the animal has to be tracked down, thrown to the ground, legs tied together, thrown over the shoulders of the shepherd, brought home, you know, bouncing along, I'm sure that's really comfortable, brought home, and then perhaps, based on what's crawling all over it, thrown into a chemical bath to get it clean. How many sheep do you think are looking forward to that treatment and enjoy it? Now, how many of you, how many of us, could look back over multiple stages of your lives, maybe even this week, and say, yep, that's just what that felt like. And I was pretty sure he was trying to kill me. Can I just suggest that maybe there was something else going on? The shepherd was at work. 
doing what had to be done. We are in desperate need of his care, every one of us. How we need to turn to him and rely upon him. Let me end with this, just kind of bring all this together, full circle. So, uh, Jesus is our shepherd, the good shepherd. Author of Hebrews says the chief shepherd. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, you need to know this. We need to know this. He is not just your Savior. He is your shepherd, which means you need him, I need him, we need him, not just eternally, but daily. We need him not just when it's hard and confusing and frightening, but when it's easy and clear and calm. We need to know that we can and must go to him all the time with absolutely everything because he is our shepherd. Fairly, that begs a question. But what, what would allow me to go to him? What would free my heart, my scared heart, to trust myself to him in, in that way? The bond. The bond between the shepherd and the sheep. If I can just try and persuade you. What might free you? The bond between the shepherd and and the sheep. So, I mentioned Tim Laniac, the Old Testament professor. He's written a lot on this. He tells a story of uh, Mrs. Aref. Mrs. Aref lives in a small village in Jordan and cares for 45 sheep on her own. That's her flock, okay? Let me read you some, something Tim Laniac writes. One day, to her immense distress, Mrs. Aref lost track of one of her ewes. Because sheep regularly mingle with other flocks at common pastures during the day, she checked with her neighbors that night to see if the ewe had gone home with someone else. But none of them had seen the missing creature. She inquired among more distant neighbors over the next week, but no one had noticed a stray or found unidentified remains. Weeks turned into months without a sign of the missing ewe. Then one day, two months later, a large flock comes through the village led by a hired shepherd. As was still her habit, Mrs. Aref asked the young man if he had come across a lost sheep. As the words passed through her lips, one of the ewes in that solid pack of passing sheep lifted at her head, immediately recognizing the sound of her owner's voice. Mrs. Aref screamed with delight and rushed through the startled mass to embrace her lost sheep. It didn't take long before the whole village heard the commotion and shared the reunion. That's the bond. That's the bond that exists between this good shepherd and his own, between us and him. Even now, this very moment, between you, if you are his, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, that's the bond, the delight that he takes in you right now. You don't need to just go to him in times of trouble or when you have time. In fact, we need to push a little further and said, say we need to yield not just a portion of our lives, but the whole of our lives to him. In fact, I'm just going to push a little bit further and say sheep have no right to privacy with a shepherd. And if you know who the shepherd is, 
Why would you want it? Why would you want it? He's come as our shepherd. We can, we need to rely upon him. Can we pray? Oh, Lord Jesus, we hear you speaking, speaking these words there that day. And there were a lot of, a lot of different types of people hearing you. Some who were your enemies, some who were your followers, and some who were sitting on the fence. We certainly don't want to be your enemies. We thank you if indeed we are your followers and help us not to sit on the fence. We need you. As sheep, we need you. Our problem is deeper than we know. We can't look to ourselves or any human being. You are the solution. Help us hear your warnings and your promises to guide us, to provide for us, to protect us. Help us hear and hear it deeply. And we pray in your name. Amen.